0: i thankful to be in the Lord's house again, another opportunity to look into his word. Uh, we'd like to start the Gospel of John today, John chapter number 1. Just a, a brief intro to the Gospel of John. John's the, the fourth Gospel, and John is regarded by many as being the, the last Gospel that was written, And so... We don't we don't really know that for sure but it's regarded by the experts as being the the longest gospel or the, the the most recent gospel written maybe in 60 70 or 80 ad and John is different than the other gospels if you look at John <coughs> compared to Matthew which Matthew was written with a a view and a thought towards the the Jew, I believe, as he repeatedly points to Old Testament (laughs) Scripture that's fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew gives uh, the genealogy of Jesus back to Abraham, proving that he is the fulfilling of the promise to Abraham and to David and the covenants God made in the Old Testament. If you look in the Gospel of Mark, straightway and immediately. Those words are throughout the book. Pointing to the the servitude of Jesus. He was a servant to man while he was on the earth. The Gospel of Luke. uh, Luke was, from all we can see in the first chapter, he's writing to a fellow that he knew in that day to prove that Jesus was the Son of God. And he's got eyewitness accounts Historical references. You know, it's, it's in Luke that we know Caesar Augustus was the one that called for the world to be taxed, and that's how Joseph and Mary wound up in, uh, in Bethlehem for Jesus' birth. It's there we find out that Herod ordered the, the children under two to be killed, and that's why Jesus went to Egypt. And it's, it's revealing how. You know, not only were these scriptures fulfilled. I've called my son out of Egypt. That's in the Old Testament, but it's revealing the backstory to it as well. Jesus came out of Egypt. We know he went there because Herod was going to kill all the children in an effort to kill him, the king. But we come to John. John, John has no parables. John has seven miracles that he gives. And so in, with those seven miracles, he's going to give discourse with those. And all of them's going to be used to point to who he is as Christ and the work that he's going to accomplish in salvation. So they're there, but they're there with a purpose. And John gives us his mission statement in chapter 20, verse 30. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that believing you might have life through his name. So John readily admits, I've not written everything in this book that the Lord did while he was here. But I've, I've given you these that you might know who he is that you might know why he came, that you might know what he's done, that you would put your faith in him and that in him you would have life. So the, the first epistle of John, he wrote that that you may know that you have life, that you might have the assurance of life in Jesus. But this is to reveal Jesus that we might, you know, how can you believe in whom you've not heard? So John here, let's tell about the Lord Jesus. And so in John chapter number 1, you've got the first 18 verses. I told you to read that. I don't know if you got to this week or not. But the prologue, he's going to introduce the themes and the story in these first 18 verses before we really get into the narrative of what's going on. And John's going to start with John the Baptist, as many of the others do as well. John the Baptist is going to be prominent in the first three chapters here until he is removed from the way. But in this prologue, you're you're going to come to the knowledge of who Jesus was before he was on the earth. You're going to know that Jesus is life in comparison to the death of sin that's in mankind. And that Jesus is light. A revelation of the truth in comparison to the darkness of man's mind and his inability to recognize the spiritual. So none of this existed on the earth until the Lord came. And you're gonna, we're going to follow life and we're going to follow death, light, and darkness all through this book. So John 1, like, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So we've got an intro, and if I realize we, we know who the Lord Jesus is. If you were reading this for the second time, you would know who He's talking to. But you think about somebody now that's never heard the gospel, never heard of Jesus. They pick this up and he's not saying Jesus here. We're not going to see Jesus' name until on down in this prologue. So uh, it's not his intention yet that we see the man Jesus, but he's introducing us to the person of Jesus before he was incarnate. And so in the beginning... I think those words are intrinsically tied with Genesis 1. And you see the creation of man that's taken place. So Jesus was, he's going to be before his incarnation. He was not created. That was not his beginning when he was born in a manger in Bethlehem. You know, it's important that we know that. We've got to know who he really is. And so in the beginning was the word. So you notice that word, verses in verse 14, and the word was made flesh. So in the beginning, was the word. Was, that's the Greek word, and it it implies continued existence. Not that he was, if I say, well, I was there, that means I, I was there at a time, but I'm no longer anymore. But this word here, it's a little deeper than that. And the word existed in the beginning. He already was and continued to be at the beginning of the creation. So this word of God was not created in the beginning. He was not a created being. But, a little farther, the word was with God. So that word with, it don't just mean in a company with, but in the face of. So there's an, there's an intimacy there that's being revealed. Not only was the Word already present in the beginning, He was not created, He was eternal, but there He was with God. And they had an intimate relationship before the creation of the world. John 17, Jesus is praying there. And He says in verse 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. This was not a relationship that began when Jesus was incarnated. That was just a step in the plan from eternity past. You can't put a beginning on the Word. He was in the beginning. He was with God. They were, they were in unison one with another. So you're starting to see already the Trinity being pictured, and you're going to see it even more here. and the word was God. Now that just don't jive in English, does it? He's with God, and He was God. And you think about that logically, that logically doesn't make sense. But notice, notice how he words this. Not, and God was the Word. But the Word was God. Not that all of God was... See, if you said God was the Word, that would mean all of God was Word. Was this logos. But, he says the Word was God... So, we're seeing the picture if you look in Genesis 1 in the beginning, God created. You've got in verse 2 the Spirit hovering over the water. And you've got in verse 3 and God said. So, you've got the Father, the Spirit, and the Word, and they're all working together in unison, in intimate unison, to bring creation into the world. And you look on over in the Gospel of John, and Jesus is going to be baptized. And you see the heavens open, and the Spirit descend, and the Father say, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. So again, you've got all three in clear view. No question that all three are present. But you know, with the mind of man, you look back at Genesis 1, and you're reading God said, and you think, well, that's not a person. That's just God speaking. But see, God's a lot greater than me and you are. And so his word was indeed a person. It was in the beginning with God and was God. So this word then was equal with God the Father. And he absolutely was. This word then was equal with the Holy Spirit. And He is. And the Spirit is equal with the Father and with the Son. Holy and, and pure Trinity that work together in unison to accomplish the work of God. So in, in Luke, uh, no, 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. So in the letter of John he brings us to the attention of the three again. So Jesus was separate a separate being from the Father a separate being from the Spirit and yet they all three are, are God. I realize that that's above, that's above my pay grade but that's the way that it is they are equal. They are triune. They are one. But they are three. And so Jesus was the, the word. We're not to Jesus yet. But the word was and is a part of the trinity of God. So the same was in the beginning with God. So a repeat. John does this a lot. If you remember... When we talk through 1 John. He loops everything back together. And that's what he's going to do here. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. If we were mistaken. That these were two separate beings. That it wasn't just the Word alone. But there was the Father and the Spirit together. And they're all working to bring about creation. So, Christ is, just from these first two, he is eternal. He has no beginning nor end. He is not God solely, but he is in a trinity with God. And yet, he is a proper deity. He shares the same power, the same glory the same ability as God the Father does. He is. It's not robbery for the word to be equal with God. Now you start talking this to the Jew now, especially in that new Jesus that saw him crucified, and there's no way that could be. That man could not be equal with Jehovah. And yet, everywhere in the Old Testament where God said the word there he is God. he's present all things were made by him so made to cause to be generate to become to come into being it's the word gen our, our word gen comes from we generate the word's Genomahi. And to generate is to make something that was not there before. A generator has a motor and gas and all, but there's no electricity there. But you know that generator, with the use of a motor, it's going to make electricity using the gas that's there. Something is coming into being that was not there before. And so... He is making the Word. The Word is creating all things by Him. The channel of an act. So Jesus was the Creator. He had as much part in creation as the Father and the Spirit did. They're all in unity. You've got to keep them in unity. If you get one working apart from the other two then you're out of place. They don't work opposite of one another. They're not off doing their separate things. But God is one. And God is working His work. And when God works His work, the Spirit, the Word, and the Father are all working together for that because they're all God. So we've got to keep them distinct, but we've got to keep them together as well. So all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So in Hebrews 11, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. How did God frame the worlds? The Word of God framed the worlds. It was God's... Now, who are we talking about? We're we're talking about the Word, the the second person of the Trinity. We're talking about the Word of God here. And it was Him that framed and hung and created the world as we know it. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions all or principles created by him and for him. And he is before all things. <coughs> and by him, all things consist. I realize in a way we think this is elementary. But you you just ponder on this, that it's the word of God that made everything there was not one thing created and made that was not made by Him. And not only that, but He has preeminence over it all. He's the Creator. As well as, it's by Him that everything consists and remains. This, there's some power here, wouldn't you say? There's some ability here. This is God we're talking about. And so he was the creator of all things. And in Acts 17.25 you talk about consisting. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Where does life come from? Where, where does, I mean, he's, let's just read it. Life, breath, and all things, they're given. They're coming from a source that's outside of us and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. So he's determined before appointed. He's not making it up as he goes along. He's not writing a history book day by day. That's the way me and you would. As we see things happen, we record it down. God's already got it recorded down and in order. And it's going to work out just exactly like he's got it recorded. He has not my works not how clean I live. Not how good a fellow I am. But God has set the bounds of our habitation. It's the boundary line. He's set where it's going to end. Well, if you do this, you're probably going to die early. Well, whatever. But know this. It was before appointed by the hand of God when the end of my habitation is going to be for in him... We live, we move, and we have our being. You know, context. Context is is important. That's not the church. Paul's preaching at Mars Hill to the philosophers and the Greeks and and those that that follow all knowledge. These ain't saved people. But you know, even them, and what little knowledge, what little ability, what little life that they've got. God's give that to them. There is no life outside of the Lord Jesus. We think sometimes that somehow these things are going on without God's power or influence. But without Him, there is no life. There's no mankind. There's no animal life. There was no life before. None. There was God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and all life that is whether wicked or born again whether mankind or an animal all came from Him. There's no other source for there to be life. He giveth to all And it's in Him we live and move and have our being. So even those that say, well, I don't believe any of that, well, the life that they have is from His hand. He's the source of life. But we've got a distinction as well. Without Him was not anything made that was made. That sounds funny. But not everything was created. So we've got to get this as well. The Word was creator. The Word was the source of life. The Word was the means that all things were made, but there were things that weren't made. The Word didn't create the Father, and the Word did not create the Spirit. You've got to have them equal as well. There's not one before the other in the Trinity. The Son's not greater than the Spirit. The Spirit's not greater than the Son. The Son did not create the Father. The Father did not create... And by saying the Son, we we could say that wrong, but the Word. We're talking about the Word right now. And so the Father didn't create the Word the Word didn't create the Father. They were coexistent. And from the Trinity of God came this down. I thought this was very good. Everything from the highest and most powerful angel to the littlest and most insignificant grubworm. They all came from the same fountain outside of God there's nothing it was made produced and the life that makes the heart beat that makes the lung breathe that gives the body movement that grants us understanding all of that was given by God not self existent the world is not self-existent. Mankind is not self-existent. But it's God that's created and that is continually giving. His hands are not off the to creation today. Man fearful and worries and is afraid afraid of what this one's going to do and that one's going to do if I'm going to do something tomorrow that God doesn't want me to do how much trouble would God have in stopping me from doing that God could vaporize me and you never see me anymore see God's still in control He is. He's still in control. He's still the word. In him was life. Where was life? In the word of God. Isn't that something? Life came from the word of God. And here's here's the beautiful thing about the meanings of these words the word spirit that you see in the New Testament it's pneuma sounds like pneumonia that's an infection of the lungs but it means a current of air or breath so you've got the father you've got the breath and you've got the word you see how they all have to be and they all work together So in him was life. In Psalm 33 were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. So you see how that that ties together there? The word is the breath of the mouth. So the Father, the Word, and the Spirit, they're, they're all there together creating not just what's beneath. I mean, people want to give the devil or demons or angels credit or glory, but that was all breathed out by God as well. So, God at work. And you got to be careful here. The word was the means of creation. But not in this regard. If I've got a nail sticking out of this table, I might use my hammer. I might go get a shovel. I might not have either. And I might try to get a rock and drive it in. It's just, if I've got all three of those available, it's whatever tool I choose to use. So, man looks at the Word and says, Well, that's just the way God wanted to do it. But that's not true. This, this was from Matthew Henry. I wrote it down. Listen to what he says. By him, the Word, not as a subordinate instrument, but as a coordinate agent, God made the world. Not as the workman cuts by his axe, but as the body sees. By the eye. So the body sees by the eye. That's the means for the body to see. And if the eyes are gone, the body has no means to see. They work together. You see how that is? That's the way the Word is in creation. He's not the means God chose to create. He is God creating. So... We're, we're talking equal with God here all things so in him was life and the life was the life of men so not just a not just a living god like i'm a living person because we've we've already established that my life and that your life is dependent. It's dependent on a lot of things. You, you get to the very bottom of it, your life depends on God, period. You're going to die. But if I cut off your oxygen, if I quit giving you water, you're going to die. If I don't give you food, you're going to die. If I cut off the blood flow, you're going to die. Look at how all of these things has to be in order for man to live. Life's not in me. And what he means when he he says that is self-existent life is in him. Man does not have life in the way that the Word and that God has life. He's self-existent. His existence depends on nothing else there's nothing that can be done to harm the existence of God. He is life. Whether spiritual, angelic, demonic, human, animal, in the sea, in the heavens, He is life. He gave life from Himself in creation. That all things might live. And there's not one thing that I can do or that man can do or that the devil can do or that all of the demons, there's not a force that's able to take that life (coughs) from him. You've heard my life's in your hands. Well, God's life is in nobody's hands greater in a way that I can't understand that I can't perceive he is God and in him was life so the literal tree of life in Genesis 3.22 the Lord God said behold the man has become as one of us to know good and evil and now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat, and live forever. So the tree of life, a living tree with fruit that has power to give eternal life unto others. Because he has it in himself, he can give to others. You see, that's the way the word is. The literal tree and source of life. John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those that are living, those that are going to be resurrected, do you know where that new life's going to come from? From God. It's going to come through the Word. Not, well, God just wanted to give him something to do to honor him. When I was little, I may do it for my boys. When I was little, Dad would be doing something that, honest to God, he didn't want me to do. Maybe it was dangerous. But he would say, look, son, you do this. You do this and you can help me with that. And he'd give me something to do that I could feel pride in. That's not what God's doing with the Word. The Word is necessary for creation. The Word is necessary for life. The Word is God. I hope we can see that. John 14, verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Jesus was in the beginning of all things. He was the single source of life that brought life unto all. In that creation you saw the Father, you saw the Spirit, And you saw the Word producing and making everything that there was. Well, remember I mentioned that baptism of Jesus. You see the Father and the Spirit and the Son again. What's happening there? He's being baptized. That His ministry on earth might begin. That ministry is going to end in the cross. You know what that's going to be? That's going to be a new creation. And a new life for the church of the living God. He's the source of life in the beginning and if man's going to come to God in salvation and receive eternal life, he's going to be the source of that as well. In him was life and the life was the light of men. So here's we're putting together at the very start two themes We're going to follow all through the book. Life. Man is without life. It's already been read this morning. And you who were dead in trespasses and sins, hath he quickened. So man was without life. Christ is the source of life. Man's also in darkness. That's not two separate things. We're talking about the same work. Man's mind is unable to perceive. The truth is one of them in our life and not see ourselves as guilty before God. How can that be? Darkness. Man's mind, his understanding is enwrapped in darkness. He cannot come to the knowledge of the truth on his own. And if If there's no word in creation then there's nothing made. I believe we see that from these verses. Everything that was made was made by him. In Colossians they were made by him and for him. You take the word out there's no creation. Well you take the word out today and there's no salvation. There is no life apart from the word of God Nor is there any quickening. Man can't be quickened. I believe that's what he's saying here. In John chapter (coughs) 5 verse 21. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them. Even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. What's going on? There's a work going on here. That is to, to quicken. We're giving life to that which is dead. You know what the son has? He has power. Because he has life in himself, he has power to come to the dead and get them up. He can give life to those that are dead. We're going to see that in Lazarus in chapter 11 of John. He's going to give life To that man that's dead. In the same way that he's giving life today to those that are spiritually dead. And so in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 45. And so it is written. The first man Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. But if you turn in your Bible to that scripture in 1 Corinthians 15.45 that second was made that was added by translators it's in italics if you'll look at that so Adam was made a living soul he was created a living soul God gave him life to live but the last Adam not was made that's not there in the original text the last Adam a quickening spirit remember the word was not created He was from the beginning a quickening spirit. He gave the first life that we live and move and have our being in. And if there's spiritual life to be had, he'll be the source of that as well. If man's going to come to the knowledge of his guilt before God, it's going to be through him that he comes to that knowledge. The life that was in him gave light and understanding to the heart and to the mind of man. Man that had been enwrapped by the darkness and deceit of the devil. The Lord steps on the scene in these lives. And there's light. And I can see my guilt before God and the source of life that's in Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 33 verse 4. Say to them that are of a fearful heart. Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. So what's happening? Salvation's coming. And blinded eyes are seeing, deaf ears are hearing. You're going to see all that in John. Jesus has the power and authority to cause eyes that can't see to see and ears that can't hear to hear. But we're looking at a spiritual work here. This light of men, God's given sight to those that were spiritually dead and unable to see their condition. He's opening the ears of the deaf that heard preaching all of their life, but never really heard it till he did a work. It's over their head. The deaf, how silly to tell a deaf man, listen to what I'm telling you. Or to tell a blind man, look over there and see that. That's like taking lost people And saying you're lost. You need to be saved. They can't see that. They hear what you're saying. But they can't see that. If they're going to see it's going to be the Lord. The Lord is the light. And so. In Isaiah 42. Verse 6. I the Lord have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a to open the blind eyes to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Now the Lord, we're all familiar with it, I'm sure the Lord's going to read this in the temple. Close the book and say today this scripture's fulfilled in your ears and I realized you could say well he was opening the blinded eyes and he was giving hearing to the deaf, and the lame were walking but behind that that was showing me his authority in the flesh behind that was the spiritual work that's the work that he came to do that man could be saved from his sins and iniquities and i say that there, there was a definite there was a definite people that he came to die for and to save there was a people that he came to die for we're going to see that all through the book of john as well so verse number 5 and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not comprehended is probably a misfortunate translation because we think of understand. When I read that I think the darkness didn't understand it. But what the word means is to take eagerly to seize or to possess. That's what the word means. So the light shineth in darkness to shine or make manifest luminous to lighten, to shine, or to show. So the luminous word of God shone, shed rays into into what? Into the darkness. Do you see the callback to creation? Paul even calls us back to that event as well that there's the earth without form, without void, without life Darkness covers the face of the deep and God says let there be light and light shines into the darkness shedding the rays into that that's enshrouded by darkness. Well here, here we have this word that's shining into darkness and the darkness seized it to take eagerly they seized it not. So I realize you could say, well, and his inability, or, I guess what man would say is his refusal to accept the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. But really what happened was, the light came into the world, and it shone in darkness, and the world, the darkness, did not overcome him. You know, when you're in the dark and you're out in the backyard and you've got a flashlight, have you ever turned the flashlight on and the darkness overcome that? But every time you turn a light on, the light overcomes. Every time. There's, there's, not a, it, it, there's not a struggle either. But the light comes on and the darkness can't seize it. It's unable. does not have the ability. See, man's, man today, I want you to listen to how foolish that man is. Man today has got the devil and God in a war and a struggle against one another. Was the devil part of the Trinity? Was the devil self-existent? Has the devil got any authority? Has he got any preeminence? you know where he come from? The same place everything else came from. Is that not the truth? I take we need to get we need to get doctrines right here. God created, and it was in the word. And when the light turns on, the darkness does not obtain the ability to overcome the light. So man looks at Jesus on the cross. Well, the darkness has overcame him, it seized the light. But you know what that was? That was the plan from before the foundation of the world. The light perfectly carried out the exact mission that God sent him on in the very beginning and nothing that the darkness (laughs) could do could stop it from happening. He couldn't overcome him in the desert when he tempted him. And people can say what they want. But there's Jesus on the cross. Yeah, the, devil ain't. the devil wants him to come down. If you're really something, come down from there. You've saved others, save yourself. You know what he wanted? He wanted this plan to be broken. But the darkness could not cease. The light was victorious. The darkness is not going to overcome. You know what the darkness is? Created. Is it not? When was there darkness? When there was a creation. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God made a division. And he called the dark night. And he called the light day. You know why they're divided? They can't be together. Because darkness is the absence of light. Darkness is not a a personal thing. Darkness is just when there's no light shining. So when you take light out, then there's darkness. But the light is personal. The light has life. The light is the creator. The light is the God that was on the throne in the very beginning. You want to look to where Jesus came from? Don't look to a manger in Bethlehem 1,970 years ago you're looking in the wrong place. John's pointing us to where the word really began. And the answer is there is no beginning. You know what the manger was? That was a stop in the plan of Almighty God. The cross was a stop in the plan of God. The tomb was a stop in the plan of God. None of those were his beginning. And none of those were his end. His life couldn't be taken from him. It didn't depend on anything. He didn't have to breathe to live. He's the self-existent word of God. That's who this is. So Genesis 1, 28 and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth on the earth. Genesis 2:8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward and Eden. So here's created man, created with the absence of sin. There's no sin there. Placed in a garden that God himself planted and God's given him dominion over all of the animals. He's in a place of perfection. The animals are under the dominion of Adam. They listen to him like a well-trained dog listens to you. God put Adam in that seat of authority that as God rules over the creation and over all things he's made in heaven, so Adam is going to rule over everything beneath. In a picture, in a parable of God himself And even though God put him in a perfect place as the the one with dominion and power, yet man is overcome by darkness in a place of absolute perfection. But look where the light came to now. Compare. Compare where Adam was in the garden in perfection with everything subordinate to him, to the Lord Jesus in Mark chapter 1 verse 12, and immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. That's desert. And he was there in the wilderness, 40 days tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts. The angels ministered to him. The Lord didn't come to a perfect garden with everything he needed right there. The Lord came to the desert. The Lord wasn't in a place where sin hadn't overcame. The Lord came to a cursed world. A world that sin had overtook. And He came not to a place with tame beasts, but He came and dwelled in the wilderness with wild beasts. And yet, though, you know what we'd say? We'd say, boy, all the odds are against him and if Adam couldn't do it then I don't think he he can do it now I mean Adam Adam had all the advantage the Lord I mean it doesn't look like the Lord's got any advantage but this is God we're talking about here and so the darkness comprehended it not to take eagerly to seize, to possess, to apprehend. Romans chapter six, verse nine, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, died no more. Death in Acts two twenty four, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Even the great enemy that's going to swallow everybody up may not be adultery may not be drinking may not be drugs sin's going to overcome us and the grave is going to swallow every one of us up and outside now of a source of life besides myself I'm not getting up I'm going to lay there and I'm going to rot And I'm going to be forgotten. But you know the Lord wouldn't like me. And he wouldn't like you. He went into the grave dead. And John's going to prove that the man was dead. He went in dead and death could not. There was no power over this man. Even death in the grave couldn't seize and possess him but he's going to be victorious over all things that you and I could have life. So we'll stop right there. Uh, He's going to start maybe looking at John next in verse 6. So if you get time, read some of these verses. I believe it will be a help to you. And when we go over it, you'll be a little more familiar with what we're talking about. Anything you'd like to say? Good job. We, we do need to see who he is. Who is he? Uh, we got a wrong view a lot of times. Who we're talking about. A lot of, lot of fear, a lot of dread, a lot of doubt, a lot of worry. Could be laid at rest if we just knew who he really was. All hearts and minds clear.